Alright guys, so a uh, very beautiful and obviously intelligent woman from America has uh, commented on our Facebook page, said all the segments are funny as fuck, and oh. discourse is really good too. I especially enjoy the movie reviews. Oh, as I say, know. everybody's favourite segment. Yeah, whatever, mate. I find that difficult to believe. Welcome back, and that was Duran Duran with the Wild Boys. Today we'll be talking about Dyatlov Pass and the infamous unexplained death of nine Russian hikers. In early 1959. My name is Brad, and I'm a bad person, and today, for the first <laughs> time ever, I'll be your host. I'm joined by person. Lachlan. Yay, well done, Brad. <laughs> hey, thank you. Um, uh, I'm joined by Lachlan, our resident novelist, and Morgan, a highly advanced <laughs> robot unable to comprehend societal norms. <laughs> How are you guys today? Uh, uh, I am confused and angry. I yeah. I need to I need to get this Dietlov Pass incident out of my brain. Mm. I've done yeah, I'm, nothing I'm feeling... but think about it for the last like two weeks. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh. I feel pretty good. <laughs> you feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear, mate. Um, I'm well. Thanks for asking. Ah, that's good. Uh, thank you for telling us. <laughs> hey, I'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm very anxious because you know it is my first time hosting. So please so, be gentle. You're gonna do. You're gonna do great. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you don't, our listeners will tear you to shreds. Yeah. <laughs> when you set your mind to it, you can you can do things, Brad. So don't worry. Uh, we believe I'm in loving, you. I'm loving the pep talk. Keep going. We believe in you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let me set the scene for anyone who is not familiar with Dietlov Pass it's, and its eerie history. Uh, in early 1959 in Soviet Russia, an albeit young but highly experienced Igor Dietlov assembles a group of his acquaintances to go on a long and arduous hike through the Ural Mountains in hopes of uh, obtaining their Certificate 3 in hiking. The group consists of young, fit, experienced hikers that are all well-known to each other, except for the oldest member of the group, Simon Zolotaryov. By the way, I am not Russian, so if I butcher any names, please don't eviscerate me. <laughs> uh, despite being some 15 years older than the rest of the group, it appears by all accounts that he was quickly welcomed and well-liked. The group totaling 10 is comprised of 8 men and 2 women, all led by Igor Dyatlov. The group set out from Yekaterinburg and alternated between modes of transport, catching a train to the city of Ivdel on the morning of January 25th, before catching a ride on the back of a truck to the small city of Vizhai the following day. Once there, the group stayed overnight before hiring local sleds to help them bring all of their gear to an abandoned geological shack further north. It's at this point in time that one of the members succumbs to an old back injury. Yuri Yudin is forced to turn back. It's a decision that will save his life. After a a heartfelt goodbye, the group heads out to complete their predetermined route up the Gora Orton Mountain. Or did he know something that the others didn't know? Maybe. (laughs) It is January 28th. And it's the last time anyone will see them alive. Oh. Oh. Ominous. Despite the whole journey being well documented through both group journal and many photographs, inexplicably, Igor Dyatlov changes the group's intended course and takes a much more difficult course up the side of a nearby mountain, Colat Siakl. Known to the local Mansi tribe as Dead Mountain or Mountain of the Dead, Colat Siakl would earn its reputation as all nine remaining hikers 
would be dead by the 2nd of February. Some have speculated that Dyatlov changed the path to ensure the group would achieve their Certificate 3. Others believe that weather conditions made it more difficult to navigate and they were forced to travel to Kolatsiakul before attempting the Gora Orton Mountain. Regardless of Dyatlov's motives, the group would make their final campsite on Kolatsiakul at some time around 4pm on February 1st. The group appeared to be relaxed, eating a final meal at approximately 6pm, and feeling comfortable enough to be in varying states of undress. At some stage during the night, some real or imagined threat drove the experienced hikers out of the relative safety of their tent and into the freezing snowstorm. Many are not wearing shoes, all of them are underdressed for the weather that they have been thrust into. A clear story of what unfolded next has never been revealed, so I will now provide the undisputed facts. The hikers left their tent for some unknown reason, evidently in a hurry, as the tent was cut open from the inside out. All the hikers' gear and provisions were left in a hurry to escape the tent. The hikers were well provisioned and highly experienced, and must have known that they could not survive for long without them. Two of the hikers' clothing contained high amounts of radiation when discovered by rescuers. The hikers appear to have uh, taken an almost single-file route to the tree line some 1,500 metres below their campsite. A torch was located on top of the tent, possibly left in an attempt to help the group locate the tent if they should return. Upon reaching the tree line, it appears that a fire was attempted under a large cedar tree. The cedar tree had possibly been climbed, branches were broken some 5 metres up the trunk, the motives behind this are unknown or unconfirmed. At the base of the tree, the first two bodies of hikers were found. Georgi Krivonyshenko and Yuri Doroshenko are found in next to no clothing, merely undershirts and underwear, with non-lethal burns on their bodies. In an attempt to head back to the tent, three hikers seem to succumb to hypothermia. Igor Dyatlov, some 300 metres back up the slope. Rustam Slobodin, another 100 metres past Igor. And Zinaida... Kolmogorova, a further 100 metres past Rustam. Zena was only 870 metres from the tent. Zenaida, Rustam and Igor were all oriented as if they had been heading back to the tent. At some stage, the remaining four hikers made their way down into a ravine, constructing a makeshift snow den. For whatever reason, the remaining four hikers' uh, bodies were then located further down the uh, ravine in close proximity to each other, only is disputed somewhere between 75 and 700 metres from the base of the large cedar tree. The bodies of the remaining four hikers, Kolovetov, Zolotaryov, Thibobrinol and Dubinina, had all sustained massive internal injuries likened to that of a car crash. Strangely, despite these massive internal injuries, there were no external soft tissue injuries, prompting the medical examiner to conclude that they couldn't be caused by man. Stranger yet... When researchers located Zolotaryov and Dubinina's corpses, they had no eyes. Dubinina's tongue was also missing. All nine bodies had various cuts, scrapes, and contusions. The two at the base of the cedar tree had minor burns. All were not life-threatening. The only life-threatening injuries were sustained by the four hikers in the ravine. Despite all the minor and major injuries, the cause of death in all nine hikers was determined to be hypothermia brought about while fleeing from sun some unknown compelling force. The the unexplained (laughs) and mysterious worded cause of death has left many people to speculate over the preceding decades. There was an, uh, was there an unknown assailant after the group, the military or KBG did an animal attack him. Was the Yeti, the culprit 
Were they driven insane by infrasound, alcohol, or the strain of mental fatigue? Did an avalanche drive them from their tent? Perhaps a military test triggered said avalanche. All we know for certain is that all nine experienced hikers felt compelled by this mysterious force to flee into negative 15 to negative 30 degree weather without shoes in some cases, and that whatever that force was, it was preferable to die in the Siberian wilderness than to face it. Oh, so, geez. boys, Yeti or the KGB, which was it? What the fuck happened? <laughs> what happened on that fucking mountain? <laughs> no one can see this, but Lachlan's face is red. Oh, my right God. Now. It is it's outrageous. There's so think, much fury. I think Lachlan needs to calm down. Maybe if he has a little beer, he'll feel a bit better. Yep. So, yeah, before we get into the preliminary theories, Lachlan, would you like to crack open a cold one with the boys? It's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. I deserve this beer. (laughs) (laughs) So this week I have a Dutch windmill, which is predictably a Dutch beer. Uh, It is a lager. It's 4.6% alcohol. And I have never tried it before. I got it as a sample at work and I thought I'd save it for this special occasion. Oh, well, that's very nice. Oh, I love that sound. That's a good one. That's a good crack. One of your best yet. Not as wet as the Guinness. That's not bad. Oh, here we go. Oh, excellent. Hey. Finally. Hey. First, first one of season. the season. Hey, good job, Lucky. <laughs> it's only taken eight weeks. Hey, yep. and just, just to be safe now, I think you should review this beer for five weeks straight so you know you're going to enjoy a beer every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck you guys. <laughs> I think Brad would probably pick up on it this time. Yeah, I think so, hopefully. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> hope so, actually, yeah. Um, all right, so let's get into the... Oh, that was that was a great introduction, Brad. That was a really good, yeah. um, that was oh, a really like good that? summary. It was thorough. I mean, I tried to tried to cover all the bases, but... Uh, yeah, that no, was very good. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we'll get into the, the primary theories here. So, we're, we're going to take it step at a time, deep, go through each theory. Just for those who are listening, and then we'll move we need on to, to the next deep one. dive this shit. Yeah, it's we gonna need be, to. This episode's going to be fifteen hours long. Yeah, <laughs> longest episode <laughs> of any podcast ever. Um. All right, so we're going to start off with the Yeti boys. Um. Oh, that's that's it. That's been oh, a very well, short podcast, I guess. All right, actually. All right, well. <laughs> well, did the Yeti or some sort of abominable snowman or snowmen <laughs> attack the members of Dyatlov's expedition? The team was forced to cut their way out of the tent and leave. This could explain the radiation on the clothing as well. Uh, and the damage to the tree, the big cedar tree. Fittingly, it would also explain the injuries not caused by man, yeah. as cited by the medical examiner. I'm a little less versed in this particular theory, uh, so please feel free to enlighten me if you've got anything else to add. But uh, from what I can tell, it, uh, I don't think it fits particularly well, but that's just me. So you know, if you Just wanna- before we do get further into this theory, I just want to um, point out, Morgan and I both firmly believe that the Yeti exists. Brad does not. No, I'm not um, as convinced as you. You can go back and listen to our cryptozoology episodes oh, no. from season one. Uh, but I just want to point out a little bit of news in the Yeti world. Mm-hmm. Uh, just recently, about two weeks ago, uh, as of recording this, the Indian Army found Yeti footprints on a mountain in Nepal. And they published a photo of that on Twitter. Uh, you can check my Twitter at Lachlan Glenn to see those photos. 
100% indisputable evidence. Yes, I would <laughs> definitely trust, wow. trust the word of the Indian 99% Army. 99% indisputable evidence of the Yeti was, of course, the Dyatlov Pass incident that we're talking about. There's almost certainly the Yeti, which does exist and uh, probably still exists, but definitely existed in 1959. Now, there are many reasons why it was the Yeti. We, we talked about this in, like Lachlan said, in the first season. That's how I became aware of the Dyatlov Pass incident because it was clearly the Yeti incident, and then people have come up with all these theories, you know, to try to disprove the Yeti theory. But, I mean, it's it's the clear main theory. So, um, you know, there's one of the chicks had her tongue removed and yes. her eyeballs removed. Yeah, no you sane animal is going to do that. You're going to need some sort of insane monkey man, you know. <laughs> well, um, I mean, just... Is that just all you to- got? Just, just to play devil, devil's advocate here, uh, she was, like, face down in a creek. You don't think decom- decomposition might have had a part to do with that? Or? Uh, or 100% yes. 100% Yeti. The the missing eyeballs and soft tissue on her face is consistent with decomposition caused by being dead face down in running water. Yes. But her tongue, that wasn't a result of the running water because... They found approximately 100 milligrams of blood in her stomach, which suggests that her heart was still beating when her tongue was mm. removed from her By head. The yeti. <laughs> <laughs> when she was yetied. Okay, fair enough. No, I well, mean, Brad, that does I'm sh- add some I'm eeriness. Sh- I'm sure you're well aware of this, but the, fr- the, the, the guys on this hike were taking lots of photos they were trying to pass a university course so they were documenting this really really well yes yes. and they have a photo of the yeti as one of their photos oh my god no they do not i i have not seen you explain you explain (sighs) what that is it's a person it's a dude just off in the distance why would a guy be that hairy and that naked in the siberian wilderness hairy or naked It's full black hair. It's just you can very only see you can only see his silhouette because it's poor lighting. We'll put this picture in the in the description yeah, or a link to it. Yeah. It did you did you happen to watch a documentary called Russian Yeti: The Killer Lives in preparation <laughs> for this episode, Mark? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't need to because I watched it and it is a fucking piece of shit. And that photo that you just mentioned is one of the things that they used to say, oh, it was definitely the Yeti. These people knew that the Yeti was stalking them. They even took a photo of it. Yeah. And it's not. It's just a dude. It's just, just one dude. of the hikers. Is it? They just took a photo of him standing next to a tree. Do you think it's a little uh, convenient then, Lachlan, that they have all these beautiful in-focus pictures of all these people? So, you know, meaning, you know, pose for a photograph, I'll take a photograph. We can take photographs very well. There's no issues with any of the photographs we're taking. And then the Yeti walks past and they're like, oh, fuck, let's quick snap a photo. And they don't have time to focus in and all that. That's why it's all blurry. But every other photo is perfect. It's not blurry. Yeti photos are notoriously blurry. It's not blurry. It's just the lighting where the guy's standing. You can only see his silhouette. And if you want to talk about perfectly in frame and not blurry photos, you look at uh, photo number 34, I think it's called, the last photo that was taken on any of their cameras. You tell me that's perfectly in focus and not blurry. No, all the the (laughs) stuff of the the wilderness and the the people was in focus. No, but the, the Yeti theory... Um, is only 90% likely. And I think the 10% <laughs> the ten issue is because 
you know, there's that photo yes. of the mm-hmm. Annie. And then there's also the, the fact that they were they were writing this satirical uh, journal as like a team bonding <laughs> exercise and yeah. stuff. Evening and O'Torton. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Brad, do you, do you want to explain that? Journal. What's it? What a satirical journal! Oh yeah, they made this. They made their own version of like the Onion. They made this fake satirical newspaper because that's what Russian people did to entertain themselves in 1959. I guess I I did not come across this. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, so they as yeah. part of it, one of their articles or one of their things was you know we've spotted the Yeti and now we know for sure that the snowman exists. Yeah, so now we people, know the snowman exists. A lot of people have taken that to think to to. A lot of people have assumed or, you know, pretended that means that yeah. they've been writing in their journal, we saw the Yeti and it exists, but really they were just writing, like, yeah. jokes and, and after stuff. I, like, uh, after I watched Russian Yeti, The Killer Lives, I looked that up because they used that as well as definitive proof that they had seen the Yeti. And as soon as you look it up, it's, ah, this was a satirical newspaper. It's convenient though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I actually didn't hear about this satirical. I, I heard about diary entries and they were referenced. Yeah, no, they, they, I thought that called, they were all serious diary entries. It was called Evening O'Torton, which is the mountain. The mountain they were is, yeah. Going yeah. to climb, but never got to. There you go. That is interesting. Yeah, Maybe so they actually, were trying to hide it from government operatives by um, <laughs> pretending, pretending that it was. Yeah, satire. It was the perfect. There, how does there is the Yeti a- explain the radiation, Morgan? Oh, I've, you know, we're going to cover a few theories. <laughs> and then I've got my I've got my explanation that kind of brings everything okay. together. So if I All just right. tell you how the Yeti and the radiation goes together now, you, it, like everyone will be confused. You don't want to I'll pop tie that money shot again, straight away. No, <laughs> yeah, I'll tie it together. It's fine. But okay. um, some people think that the photograph of the Yeti was actually a staged fake photograph of the Yeti, so they could use it for their satirical uh, newspaper. Ah, okay. And it, are you going to tell us how they're wrong? <laughs> um. That just seems quite convenient to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just it's just a dude. All right. Well, if we're, if we're all done with the Yeti. For now. Else yeah, for, for now. now. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> another potential theory is that of infrasound. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with infrasound. So, um, I am intimately familiar with infrasound, but please continue. Yes, well, a, a layman's explanation is of infrasound is that it's a low-frequency sound. Tell me as if I didn't know what it was. Okay. <laughs> Infrasound is a low-frequency sound below 20 hertz. Mm. It has been shown to cause feelings of awe and fear in humans. It has also been suggested that since it is not uh, consciously perceived, it may make people feel vaguely odd or... Is this like the brown sound that makes you shit your pants? Yeah, I guess. But supernatural events are taking place as well. Mm. Uh, This could explain why the group seemingly fled the tent for some unknown reason. Uh, it could also explain why such experienced hikers seemingly acted in the face of all their training and fled into the cold wilderness so unprepared. How do you guys feel about this one? I read a book called Dead Mountain by Donny Icar. Yes, um, I, I wanted to get around to that. There was some, yeah, some great I, literature I, out there. On this. I read it this week. It's a very good book and it goes into a lot of detail. Um, this dude actually went to Russia twice just to investigate mm-hmm. the Dyatlov Pass incident and he did the hike himself uh, yep. he went to the site he does a very good job of explaining a lot of theories away explaining why they couldn't be plausible but the mm-hmm. one he lands on is infrasound yeah um caused by a Kanan vortex which yep. is wind hitting a surface at exactly the right angle and creating all these little cyclones that create that infrasound that you're talking about 
Yeah. Uh, I don't buy it. You don't buy it? <laughs> I don't buy so this, it because is, yeah. infrasound, infrasound only has that, um, that making people crazy effect on roughly 25% of people. Yep. Doesn't affect everyone. What are the odds? And Morgan, you might want to do some quick maths. What are the odds <laughs> that all nine people there were part of that 25% of humanity that are affected by infrasound in such a violent way? So that would be one over four to the power of nine. Four to the power of nine is two to the power of 18. Uh, and two to the power of 10 is a million. Two to the power of, well, a bit over a million. Two to the power of 20 would be a trillion. So, yeah, one in a trillion. Half a chance. billion. No, half. No, uh, one in 250 billion. Let's not be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, either way, those aren't betting odds. So, so one, in, one in 250 billion. Also, by yeah. the way, you just got an intimate example of why we call Morgan a robot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, what a, it? it's a power it's, of yeah. two. I'm, I work in binary. <laughs> very, very, very highly unlikely that all of them would have been affected by the infrasound like that. Mm. Two, how does that explain the injuries of uh, Dubonina, Zolotaryov, yeah. Kolevatov, and Thibu Brignol? How does that explain their injuries? And how does it explain what, Dubonina's what missing tongue? Dubonina, Zolotaryov, <laughs> Kolevatov... Yeah. Yeah. And Thibu Brignol. Yep. He did a pretty good job there. I, I Thank you, Brad. Yeah. Thank you, Brad, for not being a patronising piece of shit. I think that the <laughs> the main thing that we, needs to be explained is what got them out of the tent. Their resulting injuries. That's were, right. That's right. That's the biggest question. Yeah. These incredibly experienced hikers, they had their grade two certification. They were doing this yeah. hike to get their grade three certification, which is, which the, is highest the, yeah, the highest you can get. Yeah. They What made them run out of the tent, cut it open from the outside. I don't think you mentioned that. The tent was cut open from the uh, from the inside. Inside, yes, yeah. Yeah, in three spots, so yeah. more than one person, cut yeah. it open from the inside, and then and they didn't run away. Mm. They walked away. The footprints show that they were m- moving at, like, walking pace in, like, a orderly single-file line. Yes. I mean, I did, I did cover that in, the, in my rundown of the facts, that they seem to flee but what, in a what makes single that, file. what makes them do that? I, and, and that is the, the hardest thing to explain. I don't think I've seen a theory that no. adequately explains it. Um, no, I, the infra- like- infrasound theory posits that the noise from the infrasound made them do that. They, yes. They were just scared of whatever they were. Yeah, so they wanted to get away from it. They might also not necessarily have all needed to be affected by the infrasound. They could have only, you know, maybe one or even two of them were affected by it and the others pursued. Okay, so you think one or two, well, three, because three people cut open from the inside. Mm. So you think three of them were affected and the rest of them chased after them. Yeah, it could, it could have been. I mean, that that I'm just saying, like, if I'm playing, looking at it from every angle, that it might not necessarily be avocado. Yes, the devil's avocado. I, not not necessarily all nine needed to be affected by whatever phenomena it was that okay, caused them to fair. leave. Yeah, but <laughs> if you were fair. if you were in a tent in the fucking middle of Siberia and some guy you were with mm. cut open the tent from the inside, started screaming and running <laughs> half naked through the snow down the bottom of the mountain, would you go? Well, oh, I better follow him. <laughs> No way, fucking way. Yeah, there's no hell. No way. I'd in probably hell. put shoes on first, <laughs> at least. 
Again, the infrasound, yeah, doesn't necessarily explain why pretty much all of them had no shoes, like just socks. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. Whatever, whatever made them run out of the tent, they had to go right then and there. Yeah. Like there was no and, time and, and to get dressed. That's exactly it. It's like if someone left the tent or someone was affected and they took off, then why didn't the remaining people first put on clothes and exactly. shoes and then go after them? Because they know they're smart people. They they would know that going out there completely undressed. That's a death sentence. You, yeah, you'll end up dead as like as well. So you can't help someone if you're dead. That's right. So I mean, again, it's just so incredibly bizarre. Yeah, the infrasound theory doesn't make any sense to me. I don't like the one. I like the one with the the wind. Do you want to explain that one, bro? Well. I had an order, but if you want to jump in. <laughs> I don't know, you, you do it your way. <laughs> All right, I'll do it my way because I'm the host motherfucker. All right. Brad is a host person. So, <laughs> um, I've decided to combine sort of the next two uh, theories because they're very similar. Okay. Uh, essentially, some people have theorized that pa- parachute landmines or missiles <laughs> uh, could have re- could have either a thrown the hikers into a shell shocked state of trauma, causing them to flee, then perish in the subsequent barrage, or b worried the hikers into thinking an avalanche could have or had been triggered, forcing them to flee. Some people have also suggested that the absence of soft tissue damage with uh, concurrent massive internal injuries could only be caused by the concussion of an explosion. Yes, yes. I did read that. Mm. That yeah, oh, the yeah. the massive internal damage, but no soft tissue damage is consistent with shockwaves from yes. an explosion. Oh, yeah, also, is, yeah. the Soviets were notorious <laughs> for secret military tests, cover-ups, mm-hmm. and killing people. Uh, mm-hmm. so, that would I explain mean, the radiation as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if, if it was some sort of yeah nuclear material in the, the missile, mm. um, it could, could have affected. Or, or you, know what test- it, you know what it doesn't explain? What? Lyudmila Dubinina's missing tongue. Bombs don't rip tongues out. Maybe if it was really close, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, again, it's like there's a lot of theories that explain, you know, say 80% of it or even 90%. That's that's the problem. I I cannot find anything that explains every piece of evidence. Yeah. Um, not even, not it, it doesn't even have to explain every piece of evidence. It just has to be plausible to work with every yeah, piece of evidence. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's just got to be plausible. But there's, and, there's none yeah. that works with every piece of evidence. Not even no. like explains it and has a full comprehensive, mm. uh, you know, understanding of it. Just like one that, you know, isn't ruled out for some reason. I mean, I, I, I see why some people favor this because the, the Russian military is known to conduct um, tests in the Ural Mountains. Um, oh, absolutely. So that, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, some, there were witnesses saying there were bright lights in the area, uh, which, you know, could have been explosions or, you know, parachute landmines do have UFOs. a fire attached, um, which burns brightly in the sky. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, it could have potentially been that, that they were seeing. They also could have just been completely and utterly mistaken. So if it uh, wasn't for the missing tongue, which I'll remind our listeners was removed from her mouth while she was still alive mm-hmm. and... The um, estimated timeline of the movements of the hikers. If it wasn't for those two things, I would buy into the missile test, nuclear rocket test, parachute mine theory. Yeah. But but I can't because of those two things. 
<laughs> Fair enough. How, how do you feel about him, Ons? Likelihood, percentage, or out of 10? Um, well, after the Yeti, this one's definitely my favourite theory, I think. <laughs> um, I can't wait for you to explain the Yeti at the end. I think this, this one could actually explain a lot of the inconsistencies and a lot of the seemingly unexplainable things in it because, mm. of course, after the KGB or the military or whoever had fucked these people up, they had to stage some stuff to to make mm-hmm. it look like something else. So, mm-hmm. potentially the reason that the whole site is fucked up and looks really weird is because they've come back and said, like, oh, well, you know, we can't have all their bodies next to each other. We have to move them around. Or, you know, we can't have it look like they all died from this, so let's make one of them look like they died from that or whatever. Mm. So It's interesting like- that you say that, Morgs, because in my research I came across this little tidbit. Two of the bodies, Yuri Doroshenko and Georgie. Uh, Nikolai Thibault-Brignol, mm-hmm. um, were both found with liver mortis spots on the back of their bodies. Now, liver mortis is when the blood pulls after the heart stops beating uh, in your body and it creates these spots on your body. So, the... Um, the the investigators can tell how you were positioned when you died because the blood pulls all in one spot. Now, both of these guys were found with these liver mortar spots on their backs, but the search teams found both those bodies face down. So they were moved. They were turned over after they died. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I can explain that. Go on. I don't think you can. Uh, So the first one, was it Doroshenko? It was, yes. Yuri yeah. Doroshenko. Doroshenko was one of the first people to die. Uh, at I, the, I agree with that. Yep. At, at the big cedar tree from, from all um, uh-huh. the investigation, there seems to be him and Georgie were the first two to die. Yep. And two Yuris. Yeah, the two Yuris. Um, they they believed that people stripped them of their clothes uh-huh. for for additional warmth, which also leads to them being in a pretty decent mental state, like smart enough to know they need to take clothes. Yeah, and um, that's that's how you can sort of put together a sort of timeline of their movements. Yeah, so I, I believe that he was. They waited for him to die, obviously, and maybe uh-huh. they waited some time, enough time for blood to pool, and then you know they when they were taking the clothes, they flipped him over. Yeah, I because would agree they with did, that. They did have to cut the clothes off him. That's why um, mm-hmm. I think it was Dubinina had his pants around her feet. Yeah, and they weren't. Uh, they were wrapped around her feet. They weren't like yeah. They were they were like yeah, ripped up and used yeah. as so foot think, wrappings. I, I think the same goes for um, Thibaut Brignol because yep. he had a concussion, like a um, sorry, a contusion to the head that would yeah, have his head was fucked up. Yeah, basically would have rendered him unconscious and unable to move, and he would have died shortly afterwards um, mm-hmm. if hypothermia hadn't gone to him. So I believe again he was moved post-mortem by one of the surviving members. That that would be my... I, I would agree. I would agree with both of those. Um, but it doesn't fit with the theory that the government or the military or whatever came and tampered with the, the site afterwards. Yes. Which is, um, which is another potential theory I've got lined up here, which is the Russian government. So... Um, Secret police. <clears throat> essentially, yeah, the Russian government or the military had the hikers killed. The Soviets, again, were notorious uh, for doing an all manner of shady shit. 
and it's theorized that potentially the students stumble across a Soviet secret, potentially having to do with nuclear uh, nuclear or radiological weapons, and then they were pursued and silenced one by one by the Russian military or government. Um, Some others have even theorized that the students were carrying radioactive material for the government as part of a KGB mission, which is not actually the first time in history that that would have happened, that people carried uh, carried radioactive material... um, because obviously they were in the middle of the Cold War, uh, mm-hmm. to full Stop. US CIA, um, they would place radioactive small amounts of radioactive material at sites that weren't related to um, any kind of nuclear research. Just yeah, to, to throw throw scanners off. Yeah, yeah, basically just fuck with people. Um, and then during this mission, they were either double crossed and killed, or killed while planning to double cross CIA agent CIA agents, so that they potentially were out there to meet the CIA. Yeah, and I have heard went, that. Yeah, shit went downhill. And the I have heard that three of them were KGB plants trying to root out a CIA mole. Yeah. So uh, this obviously does explain why the, this could explain why there was radiation found on the victims' clothes. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I mean this this I mean it's shady and it it, could it be would also explain uh, Alexander Kolevitov's death. I know they say officially they say it's hypothermia, hmm. uh, but the dude's neck was snapped. Yeah, it like, was it, like a ridiculous he, angle, yeah. Yeah, so he had an open wound behind his ear and his neck was snapped, which is uh, very similar to the way the KGB operate. Well, just going around <laughs> snapping necks. <laughs> snapping, necks <laughs> snapping necks and cashing checks. <laughs> uh, yeah, they'll hit, they'll hit behind the ear and then snap the neck. Well, I mean, during my research, though, I did come across a less fantastic explanation for the radiation um, okay which is that kolovatov and krivonashenko mm-hmm. both worked at nuclear facilities before transferring to the university yes um, that is true and it was on their items and clothing that the latent radiation was found and it also was only three true. pieces of clothing it wasn't all of it however however <laughs> or, but the am- the amount of radiation that was on the clothing would mean that those items of clothing would be would have to be what they were wearing while they were cleaning up nuclear waste. Yes, it was a high had, level. Yeah, and they had not been washed or cleaned ever since being worn. Mm. Well, it was that's Soviet that, Russia. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's, that's that's the only way they could have maintained that level of radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Yeah, I, I should have had the like the Billy Sevs. It right, was yeah, it was the highest one was like nine thousand decays yeah. per minute. Yeah. Um. The safe level for human exposure is five thousand decays per minute. Yeah. I think two of them were just over five thousand. Yeah. One was like five thousand five hundred, and mm. I think the other one was six thousand. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, there was one, one that was, was a 9, bit of a 000. jump. Yeah. Nine thousand. Yeah. So yeah, they were um, they were quite irradiated. Mm. Um. <laughs> but it, I mean, they yeah. weren't they weren't glowing. Yeah, they weren't glowing like I think people were picturing in their head. I know I certainly was. Uh, <laughs> as far as the Russian government goes, I, I, another thing I have trouble reconciling is like footprints and tracks. Like they, yep. they clearly, they left, if they wanted to cover it up, they left a track leading to, essentially leading to the bodies of the base of Cedar Tree. Well, I mean, it did run out about 500 metres outside of the tent, but they could have gotten rid of all of that. And there was also no other footprints in the vicinity. Yeah, it's, that's that's true, but it was also like it was also like two weeks since the the deaths before it was discovered. So it's it's hard to to know exactly what the tracks were from and 
everything like that. Like, I, you know, the people who originally found all the dead bodies as well and stuff, they were volunteers who had gone out on a search party. It wasn't like mm-hmm. they were forensic investigators. Like, yes, I yeah. don't, I don't know how well we can assume that the uh, everything that's been documented about the scene originally can be verified. Yeah. Well, it was. It was said to be nine sets of footprints, which matches up with how many people there were, mm-hmm. and. Um, some of them were booted and others were socked yep. and some were barefoot, which also matches up with the way the bodies were found. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I mean, think it's the footprints are accurate. That, yeah. But obviously, any any cover-up, they're going to cover up their own footprints as well. Yeah, that also, again, could be a thing. So, I don't really particularly believe this one, though. No. I just think it's, it's a bit too fantastic, if you know what I mean. It's too complicated. Though it was Cold War area Soviet Union, so wow, know. that's right. The Ruskies yeah. were just kind of doing whatever the yeah, fuck they, they were wanted. Just fucking mental. <laughs> um, so if it wasn't the the Ruskies, maybe it was the locals, um, <laughs> the indigenous Mansi people, are a the nomadic Mansi. tribe. Yep, and they've lived in the area for many many generations. They're some, like the they're like the Russian version of Aboriginals. Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. Yeah. So some have theorized that Dyatlov inadvertently steered the expedition uh, through Mansi sacred grounds. Um, they, this infuriated the Mansi. They then attacked and pursued the group, leading to their demise. Uh, so did the uh, natives go wild or? What do you reckon? <laughs> Mansi gone wild. Yeah, Mansi gone wild. Um, I personally don't believe this one because when I was coming looking um, into the Mansi, essentially there is no sacred lands there. They, no. they refer to it as Dead Mountain, but it also sort of roughly translates in Mansi as well as don't go there um, yeah. <laughs> because there's nothing there. There's no food. There's no animals. They, yeah, there's they, no plants or anything. There's, like, there's, there's just some nothing. trees. It's barren. So it's it. like they, it's, they don't consider it sacred because they're just like, fuck this place. We don't want to yeah, borrow it. Yeah, that's what the dead in Dead Mountain means. It doesn't yeah. mean like everyone who goes here dies. It means yeah. it's just there's dead. just nothing, nothing yeah. there. So, I, I, I don't know. I think maybe the Mansi have been set up a little bit here. They seem like well, pretty rational people. Yeah, they're a very peaceful people and they, they've never attacked anyone before or since. Hmm. And like you said, it's not it's not a sacred site for them. Yeah. I think there was a they someone inadvertently confused people by saying that there were sacred Mansi sites at the top of Dead Mountain. Mm. There was some site, like, like a ritual site or something like that, um, which confused people and sort of brought the Mansi into it when it had yeah. literally nothing to do. I think they were... They're not even located anywhere near there. Like we're talking, like like tens or even hundreds of kilometers away. Lachlan, yeah. This this one seems to be like it, to me. It sounds implausible as well. But this yeah. one seems to be probably the best explanation of why the woman's tongue was missing. That um, that could have been like a trophy. Wow, that's or like a good a fuck point. You or something. Like that's that. a good point. Because what was it? The Native Americans that took ears. Scalps. 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 That's right. Yeah, they took scalps. So it's, yeah, <laughs> it's plausible that the the Mansi could take uh <laughs> could take tongues, I suppose. That's a good point. I hadn't considered mm. that. Well, I mean, yeah, what if theoretically they didn't actually pursue them or anything like that? They they came across them in a state of distress and took advantage of them. <laughs> That's a shitty thing to do. <laughs> yeah, they like they, they found the, the four people in the ravine yeah. and were like, I'm gonna take a scalp. Ella, the tongue. Uh, I'm going to take a mouth scalp. Yeah, mouth scalp. Yeah, mouth scalp this bitch. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it increases like penile 
erection potency or something. I don't know. <laughs> No, they're Russian natives, not Chinese natives. <laughs> There's two things in the uh, autopsy, just while we're on this, that I found mm. interesting while we're talking about taking advantage oh, they of were, people. Those, if anyone wants to be like fucked up beyond belief, go look at the autopsy because these guys Yeah, and the photos. Fuck. The yeah. photos mm. are real bad. Yeah. Um, the, the coroner put in the autopsies of both the women that they were n- or had not been sexually active preceding the events. And that was, they put that in there purely to rule out the fact that they'd been like kidnapped and raped and killed as a result. Oh, huh. Jesus. That I is- thought it was to, I thought it was to uh, check whether there was some sort of uh, love triangle situation. Oh, love that could yeah, have- yeah, that too. Sorry, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, was it. that could have went deadly. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well. Seems the other Mancy didn't do it. Let's move on. Mancy uh, definitely did not do it. <laughs> move on to Mancy, some you're innocent. <laughs> Hashtag free the Mancy. Um, free the Mancy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll move on to some more natural phenomena here. Um, so, some have theorized that an avalanche is the culprit behind the nah. sudden exit from the tent. Wrong. Some believe that the group <laughs> was either hit by one or believed one to be happening, causing uh, them to yeah. hack their way out of the tent. More, more plausible, but still wrong. Flee into the wilderness. Surely the experienced hikers would only flee the relative safety of the tent if something had compromised that. So I think this one is not particularly feasible because Dyatlov was an experienced hiker and he would know that that area is not prone to avalanches. Correct. Um, it is not a super steep slope. It's relatively shallow. 16 degrees. Yeah. Yeah, 16 degrees. So, it's not prone to avalanches and, yeah, I just- It's not- Yeah, the slope that it's on is not- Like, an avalanche cannot happen on that Yeah, that essentially, it would be very, very, like, extremely unlikely to happen. Do you know how many avalanches have been recorded on that same mountain? I'm going to say, like, zero. <laughs> yeah, none, ever. Yeah, yeah. Like, it would have- Yeah, I, I just- And Dyatlov should have been aware of that. I, I Absolutely. Imagine. Um, so I don't see that as being an option. The only, like, there's no way an avalanche hit them. The tent was still standing. Well, well not standing, but poles from one end, both ends yep. of the tent were still yeah, standing. Ski poles so- and skis outside were mm. still stuck in the ground upright. Yeah. So there's no way that they were hit by an avalanche. I do think that the idea that they could have thought one would ha- was happening would be very unlikely. But if you did think that one was happening, you're not going to sit around and fucking wait to find out, eh? If they thought it was an avalanche, why did they walk away from the tent instead of running? You ever run in snow, bro? No, I actually haven't. Yeah, it wouldn't be fucking easy. This is my thing is a lot of people say, oh, they didn't run. It's like, well, it was a fucking snowstorm, like deep snow. You see, it would have been hard to run. You would have been like- I think they could probably tell the footprints though. Like if they were trying to run, they'd be deeper, you would think. Yeah. Maybe. Again, so fucking weird. Mm Mm-hmm. I just- I don't get it. I don't think the avalanche... I'm with you guys, so I don't agree with the avalanche theory. I just think that if they, for some reason, got it into their head, they would... Tell us about the winds, Brad. The winds. This is the winds. (laughs) This is the next one. Um, The winds of winter. Catabatic winds. Yeah. Similarly to the avalanche (laughs) theory, some have suggested that another natural phenomenon is to blame. 
love that sound effect. And I was not prepared for it when I was uh, going through the rundown, which threw me off a little bit. Just trying to build the atmosphere. Um, yeah. A catabatic wind is a high-density air from a higher elevation that travels down a slope under the force of gravity. Catabatic winds can travel at hurricane speeds. Some people have theorized that the group may have been forced to leave the tent because of this, or even mistakenly believe this to be the onset of an avalanche because it carries quite a bit of force with it. Um, how do you guys feel about this one? I think this is a pretty pretty decent one as well. Morgs, you obviously have an opinion on this. My my theory for this is yes. that the winds were extremely strong and they were worried that their tent was going to get blown away because the winds were so fucking intense. Mm-hmm. So they were like, until this wind subsides, we have to get out of here um, because our tent could get blown away at any minute. And this would is, this this is the only one I can see that explains why they got out of the tent in a hurry, yeah. But then didn't run after that because the like the tent getting blown away mm-hmm. is the concern here. It's not like getting blown away while you're walking away, so they don't have to run away from danger. They just have to walk, but they have to get out of the tent in a hurry. Interesting. I mean, who cut out her tongue? Nancy. They came along afterwards. <laughs> and how did how did the injuries happen to the four found in the ravine? Yeah. Well, isn't there isn't a possibility there that they fell into the ravine? That seems they'd to be been, my belief. They'd been down in there um digging out this snow den though, and they weren't found that far away from it. They, like if they had have fallen from the snow den to where they were found it, that couldn't cause those injuries. Hmm. Well, was there also a theory that the they got they got hit by like a large Clump of snow after, mm. like, from the top of the ravine for, fell into yeah. it. My understanding is that they fell from the ravine into it. Um, possibly, like, a small ice shelf came with them. That's why all four of them were there. And it and it wasn't enough to sustain. Like, they fell in and then they were crushed by the snow itself. It was determined, and I don't know how you determine this because I'm not a meteorologist or anything, but it was determined that the snow on top of them was fresh snowfall, not... Like, it hadn't fallen on top of them and killed them. They were dead laying there before that snow fell on them. Well, that is that is interesting because I know that they were found some months later. Sorry, I don't think yep. I brought this up. They, The initial people were found two weeks after the search began, which was yeah, a total they found of the first a month after they five. died. Yeah. Yeah, the, the initial group. So, the, um, the three who had attempted to return to the tent and the two under the cedar tree. Um, mm-hmm. But- the remaining four were found in May, I believe. So the deaths yep. occurred in February. They were found in May, so some months mm-hmm. later. And I would have trouble believing that they could tell which snow fell on them and which didn't because it would have melted. And re- well, melted yeah, like and re- like I said, I, I don't know how they determined that, but that's just what I read uh, yeah. in some of the reports. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like that they were crushed by snow. Like, that's that's my big thing is that. The snow fell on them. They were stuck there, not necessarily dead, freezing. They froze to death before the snow completely crushed them to death. And then more damage occurred to their bodies afterwards with the melting and re-freezing of the snow because they were on a like a river bank. So the snow melted and changed their position a bit. And the tongue? I still think it's natural decomposition, but the nah, blood in the stomach. The fucks, blood in the stomach, Brad. Yeah, I don't know. It's too... It's, the tongue, the fucking tongue, man. That's right. It's yeah. the telltale tongue. I still just beating under those floorboards. <laughs> I agree with you, Morgs. That the catabatic winds is is a good way to explain why they left the tent. 
It is one but of without my, running. Yeah, it's one of my favorites because you would notice a difference from regular blinding snowstorm versus cata- catabatic winds. Yeah. Like there is a pressure behind it because it's got this that high density air. So it would concern you. And like I said, they can hit hurricane levels of windiness. So, <laughs> is that yeah. a technical term? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, again, the fucking tongue, man. The tongue. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about the tongue. Like there was blood in a there was blood in a stomach, but people were saying blood in the stomach could be from uh, internal bleeding, from blood force trauma. It could be unrelated to the tongue, or you know maybe she bit her tongue while she was alive and swallowed some blood, and then it it came off after that. And then later on, it got pulled off by the Mansi. Yeah, well, like <laughs> I'm not buying stuff. Privet comrades, Yuri here from Yuri State Sanctioned Vodka. We've got former Soviet bloc stock to move, and we need you to rise up and seize the means of party. Our country may be bleak and depressing, but our selection of premium vodka sure isn't. We've got all the major brands and styles, including and limited to Otete Vodka, once, twice, or thrice distilled. Nothing more. Head to our website, yuristatesanctionedvodka.ru for prices so low, they'll make the motherland proud. Use special promo code PROLETARIAT today and receive half of your first purchase. That's ussv.ru for the only state-sanctioned vodka this side of the Old River. Head there and bourgeoisie our prices. You won't KGB disappointed. Um, alright. What says that you're not buying this one? This is a, another more... Okay, well, leaving behind natural phenomena, mm-hmm. some have theorized that perhaps an altercation led to the group's decision to leave the tent. Yep. Simon Zolotaryov was at least 15 years uh, the group's senior and had joined up at the last minute. Simon was ex-military as well. Perhaps he had been sent by the Russian government to fulfill a mission and had become compromised, forcing him to attempt to kill off the students. Or perhaps... Days of grueling treks and Dyatlov's last-minute change to the plan had put an additional strain on the group. Maybe it was just a simple disagreement that got out of hand due to everyone's fatigue. Do you guys think Simon got compromised and had to crack a few skulls? Literally. <laughs> well, I, I want to give you some evidence that supports a fight breaking out. Oh, Not okay. that I buy this, but... Mm. Um, so Igor Dyatlov and Rustem Rustic Slobodin both had... <laughs> Uh, bruising and injuries on their hands and wrists that are consistent with injuries sustained uh, in hand-to-hand combat. Oh, really? Yes. So, they whether it was each other or something that was trying to attack them, they were they were fighting off something. The, the it's especially with Rustam Slobodin, it's not. Because it looks like he fell down multiple times before he fell down for the last time and died. Um, but the injuries... Normally, you fall down, you land on your palms. Yeah. But there was no injuries on his palms. It was all on the outside of his hands. Yeah. Um, so, it doesn't make sense. Like, you don't fall down on your fucking... The back of your hands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did read as well in the autopsies that pretty much all of them had Cuts, abrasions, and bruises in yeah, various they areas. Had, yeah, all of them had a lot of, I say minor, yeah. not minor, but, you know, compared to some of the injuries, minor injuries like, yeah, you know, abrasions, scratches, cuts, yeah. which, uh, which they, they did say they, they 
ruled that it was consistent with an attempt attempt to uh, fleeing from the from the the tent. They reckon that these yeah. are normal injuries that, that they could have been happened, sustained. A lot of that could have happened while they were hiking as well. Like mm. you're hiking up a steep mountain and stay, you're gonna fall and cut yourself and get bruises and stuff. That's, well, I know I stop uh, and punch the snow every chance I get. <laughs> But yeah, it's just the injuries on the outside of the hands mm. of those two is very interesting. Yeah. And especially because those two and Xena Komogorova yeah. were the three heading back to the tent. And from closest to the tent to furthest away, it was Xena, then uh, Rustam Slobodin, then, then Dyatlov. Yeah. So it's possible that maybe she was trying to run away from those two and they were chasing after her. They were fighting over her, fighting each other for her love or something. <laughs> I think they were just fighting for All the other six were just dying in the snow. Uh, I read somewhere that Dietlov had a photo of one of the women on him when he yes, died. Yes, it was Zena. Yeah, it was Zena. Yeah, I, I wasn't it sure was, it was her. It was Zena. So there you go. Possibilities. That mm. does that does open it up a fight. Um, yeah. Someone someone raised this to Yuri Yudin, who was mm. the the tenth hiker, the one that turned back and survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently, he was very offended by that idea. Oh, okay. That 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 sort of thing would never happen. They were all platonic friends. Ooh. Well, it was uh, Soviet Russia, and they were pretty highly monitored. Like their yeah. time was pretty yeah pretty carefully controlled. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's possible he was just covering up for them. As it, well. does, it does explain why everybody left the tent. It would be yeah. like, all right, you two guys and Xena Warrior yeah. Princess, like you guys take that time. I'm <laughs> not leaving. I'm not leaving the fucking tent. I'm not walking a mile That's down right. the hill. Uh, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's one know. of those ones that doesn't encom- encompass anything. There's parts that fit and parts that don't. Also, don't give a lot of weight to Simon Zolotary of being a KGB or military agent that killed everyone because there was just no I soft mean, tissue if any of damage. them are it's it would be him, him yeah but- <laughs> he is ex-military and he shows up at the last minute is like hey teenage or well, not teenage but hey kids let's go Brilliant on a hike comrades. <laughs> I come on hike with you <laughs> we go in mountain very far very far no um, screams <laughs> <laughs> so yeah if if it turned out that he was like some sort of you know KGB operative he would definitely like he He's more likely than anybody else. Yeah, but there's Moving no on. evidence to support that. Well, this is this is my final theory. I don't know if you guys have any you want to throw in at the end. Um, but finally, people have also theorized, theorized that just nothing sinister happened at all. Um, <laughs> Someone's got strongly <laughs> disagree. The relative young age of all but one of the expedition may have been the biggest deciding factor. Fatigue. Some inexperience and simple poor decision-making led to a group abandoning the tent and unable to find their way back. Furthermore, some people have theorized that potentially the camp stove smoke or a CO2 gas builder drove the hikers from the tent. And this could have been due to human or mechanical area. This would also explain the hurry to leave. How do you guys feel about this one? I'm glad you mentioned the stove, Brad. Yes. Because there's a very good video on YouTube by a channel called Lemino. Yeah, I like um, Lemino. That was the first yeah. video I watched. He's got a really good video on Dietlov Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's actually the first video that comes up if you search Dietlov yeah, Pass it is actually. on That's YouTube. That's why it was the first one I watched. <laughs> yeah. And he he theorizes that it was the camp stove and that the tent mm. either filled with smoke or there was some sort of carbon monoxide poisoning. But, um, but, but 
Let me stick a spoke in your wheels here, Bradley. Yes, I know what you're about to say. The stove was not assembled. Yes, on correct. that on that night, the yeah. the searchers oh. who found the tent when they opened it, the stove was in pieces. Yes, had it's- not been assembled, and I doubt that they took the time to let it cool down enough to be disassembled, and yeah. then packed it all up, and then were like, "Oh, we got to get out of here because of this smoke." Yeah. And that and that's one of the things that like again everything sort of fits with this one and then there's that mm-hmm. one glaringly obvious detail. That's right. So like it does explain why they left and why they potentially walked in you know single file and doesn't explain kind of the stuff. tongue. Again, nothing explains <laughs> the fucking tongue. <laughs> yeti, yeti. But um, yeah, this this was another one that I also I felt you know like strongly about. And then yeah, again, I because he's he says in his video that the stove was assembled but then i saw from multiple yeah. other places that the stove was disassembled yeah um, well when when he talks about it he shows a photo of the tent with the chimney and stove sticking out, out. yeah but an that was obviously yeah. yeah that was obviously taken prior to that day mm-hmm. yeah and he um, doesn't address that yeah which is a bummer because his theory apart from that is very good so yeah well i, I watched that video because it was one of the first things i watched in researching i was like okay yep solved Case closed. Uh, yeah, it's done. Uh, but then I looked into it further. I'm like, oh, actually, it's not <laughs> even close to true. Well, case is getting busted wide open. All right, Morgz, right. Hit, hit us with your your overarching theory. All right, so you're done with all your Yeah, those theories. are the big ones that I could find online. So. All right, cool. So um, how many of the guys started the fire at the bottom of the forest and died there? It seemed to be two. There was there. two found there, but, but they believe there was, everyone was there at once. Yeah, there was socks and like clothing fragments and that sort of thing that point to more than two people being there. I would imagine that all nine of them started the yeah. fire down there. Yeah, and the fire was an attempt to get warm, and it sort yep. of it wasn't enough, and they realised that that was not going to work. Incorrect. Oh, <laughs> okay. oh shit. Okay, so. A few of the dudes were outside the tent taking pictures of UFOs when they spotted the Yeti coming from. <laughs> okay. Now, knowing that the Yeti is an ornery fella who likes to eat and there's no way they can outrun a giant with such big feet, these guys make the gut-wrenching decision to leave their comrades behind and hightail it out of there. They run down to the forest and start a fire, hoping they can make the most effective of ancient weapons fire on a stick for when the (laughs) yeti inevitably comes looking for them oh shit the guys inside the the guys inside the tent hear the yeti growling and understandably panic not only are they worried for themselves they're worried for their friends who are outside taking photos of ufos not (laughs) wanting their friends to be eaten they cut their way out of the relative safety of the tent and armed with those same knives get ready to face down the yeti This is when they notice their mates are running down the mountain, essentially leaving them to die. As they are cursing their comrades, the Eddie picks one of the chicks. (laughs) (laughs) The the Eddie picks one of the chicks up, and as she lets out a blood curdling scream, the Eddie bites out her tongue, taking part of her lips in the next (laughs) part. Next, he goes for the eyes, the sweet, sweet, juicy eyes. Oh. The rest of the group panic and run off, understandably. The Yeti gives chase. Uses- <laughs> Stop laughing at your own story. <laughs> the Yeti gives chase, using the woman as a weapon. Swinging. <laughs> swinging- 
swinging her at her friends, causing blood force trauma to both her and her friends. It is now that the UFO becomes an IFO, an identified flying object. It was the Soviet military on the hunt for the Yeti, which used to be peaceful but became angry after exposed to nuclear contamination in Mayak in 1957, not far from the Ural Mountains. Not as big as Chernobyl, but it happened. Look it up. This explains the radioactivity found on some of the deceased's clothing. The men who ran away at the start are slowly freezing to death as their fire, as the fire they created is not doing much good. The others who have now caught up from before and are not freezing to death due to the running and the adrenaline see their comrades dying and decide to return the favour. They take their clothes and leave them for dead. Little did they know that those were the lucky ones. They attempt to hide from the Yeti in a makeshift hideout slash shelter atop a ravine. The Yeti, with an already impressive sense of... (laughs) With an already impressive sense of smell. (laughs) Which was heightened even more during radioactive contamination. (laughs) Can literally smell them from a mile away. (laughs) He is angry. So angry at them trying to outsmart him that he throws away his now dead victim. Tongueless, oh. eyeless, and partially lipless, and starts body slamming and choke slamming the survivors in the ravine. <laughs> oh shit! They ain't survivors no more. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! The Soviet military drop a parachute mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stunning and knocking out the creature. They take him away in a helicopter, cure him of his radiation sickness, and return him to the Ural Mountains after a lengthy recovery. <laughs> it's just the only explanation that really makes sense. Well. Uh, I'm uh, glad we all took this uh, seriously. Uh, <laughs> I covered all bases there. Yeah, you did. I mean, I can't argue with that. You've That is true. Solved after six decades. I forgot Case how closed. ridiculous it was and while I was reading. <laughs> I remember to say that's why I was laughing. I was like, oh god, oh, when I read that. The, the Mansi people do believe in the Yeti. They call it the Mink. The Mink. Yeah, yeah the I've mink. heard of that. They, term they think it's the yeah, they yeah. think it's real. Yeah. And um a lot well, of I mean, them they actually, live out there, so a lot of them actually believe that the Mink is what got them. Um Ooh. it's between the the Prominent theories in the Mansi community is either the Mank or uh, the lights in the sky, which probably ball lightning or aliens. Or missiles. I don't think so. All right. Well, <laughs> that was beautiful, Morgs. Do you, um, do you have a, a review to go this week? Or Yeah, I've got a review. All right. Well, hit us with it. Morgan. 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 Morgan's movie review. Confirmed for everyone's favourite segment. Um, (laughs) Harry and the Hendersons, 1987, (laughs) is a fine family film. Your all-American, middle-class, inoffensive, straight-down-the-line American family crashes into a Sasquatch in their wood-panel station wagon, and hilarity ensues. Well, hilarity if you're under the age of 12, probably. This movie 
This movie isn't for your hardcore, intelligent, adult cryptozoologists who enjoy sophisticated, esoteric humor about their favorite cryptids, and therefore I, matching this description perfectly, was quite (laughs) honestly pretty disappointed. I was even more disappointed that John Lithgow, known for his role as the Trinity Killer in Dexter, didn't call Mm. anyone a cunt, even though he had plenty of opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) His His whole family were annoying and kept questioning his decisions. The Trinity Killer would have been dropping C-bombs at an unprecedented rate if his family were that insolent. (laughs) Then you have Harry, as the Bigfoot became affectionately known, who was destroying his house and causing all kinds of personal problems for it. You know, really doing a bunch of cunty stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Then you have this biggest cunt of all. This cunt named Lafleur. Who was <laughs> God? Who was clearly aching for a good cursing out, considering <laughs> that number one, he has a French name, and number two, he was trying to capture Harry for his own selfish purposes. Anyway, the other annoying part of this movie is that the ending teases a Nessie-based sequel that never came to fruition. Aww. It could have been called Nessie and the Mac somethings, you know, something Scottish. Some third-generation Scottish Americans go to Scotland to learn more about their ancestry, and one of the kids is determined to find Nessie or some shit. It basically writes itself, but they never <laughs> made it. In conclusion, because I've run out of tangents to go on, Harry and the Hendersons <laughs> is definitely a movie I'll enjoy watching with my kids one day. Uh, but when you've seen John Lithgow hilariously call someone a cunt, the slapstick humor just doesn't do it anymore. <laughs> Five out of ten. Oh, well. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I didn't think there'd ever be a day that I thought that the C-bomb was dropped too many times, but, <laughs> <laughs> and it is now Janine's least favorite su- subject, uh, <laughs> segment. <laughs> nah, that's gonna keep it going. All right, well, now for everyone's real favorite segment, which is, uh, of course, your host's segment, Brad's Power <laughs> Rankings. Brad Power Rankings. <laughs> it's just Fantastic. so powerful. Gets oh, you pumped up. Just, I feel it in my balls. You know? <laughs> um, so this way, this week's uh, Power Rankings is a, it's a little more macabre than usual. You know? <laughs> a little blue, if you will. Um, five worst ways to die. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, um, so it's, so uh, it's yeah, five. It's five, yep. So and it's top five. Top five. Top How are you going, ascending or descending? Uh, so we'll be uh, starting at five and working up to one. Okay. So one so being the worst the... way to die, uh, five being So one the... is the worst. Yeah. And so then five four... is an okay way to die. Well, no, it's the it's the, <laughs> the it's a terrible way to die, but not as bad as number one. Okay. All right, so yeah. really you're going the opposite to what you normally do. Yeah, normally I'm... you go the worst best. First, but this time you're doing the best worst. First. Yeah, no, changing things up. <laughs> okay, right. yes, hard to follow. <clears throat> Number five, burnt alive. Oh, the idea of smelling yourself cook while you're awaiting for your inevitable demise <sighs> really doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> On the plus side, convection will kill you long before fire ravages your corpse. 
Oh. And did you see those monks do that in the Vietnam War? Oh. They were fucking badass. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, they fucking balls of steel. Because they didn't even scream. They just sat there. Yeah. That's next level. Mind over matter. Yeah, disgusting as well. All right. Number four. Crushed to death. <laughs> now, I say this in two ways. The merciful, sweet release of a quick crushing over and done in an instant. <laughs> the other is a slow, agonizing death of being trapped under some sort of debris. Even if you somehow get freed, your body tries to kill you with compartment syndrome. Oh. This one just all around sucks. Either you go out in a bloody mess or you live long enough to wish you did. Oh. No thanks. <laughs> Oh, yeah, nah, not a big fan of that. <laughs> All right, number three, drowning. Oh, no thanks. I've read somewhere that people describe feeling calm as they accept the inevitability of drowning. These people are fucking wrong, and they are more than likely <laughs> sociopaths. As Yuri Lipsky can attest, there is nothing calm about drowning. Well... At least he could if he hadn't filmed his own drowning at the blue hole off the coast of Egypt. Ugh. Fuck anyone or anyone, anything that goes against the forces of nature that compel us to stay on dry, dry land in an oxygen-rich environment. <laughs> Number two, caving. Oh, no. Nah. This shit nah. is ridiculous. If you do listen. it and get trapped, you're dead. Why do you think they make such a big song and dance about it when someone is rescued? It's because the earth literally demanded blood and we defied it. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that feeling of being crushed by your sibling as a kid? Now do that hundreds of meter underground and in pitch black. Oh, I don't like it. John Jones did. They even knew where he was and they couldn't pull him out. <sighs> they eventually just left his body down there and sealed the cave. Oh, Good luck sleeping tonight. Good God. <sighs> Here we go. Didn't those kids in Thailand get rescued? Yeah, someone died rescuing them. <laughs> Worth it. No. Well, I he would was just Australian like, and the kids were Thai, so, you know. <laughs> was it really a fair trade? Not at all. Um, number one. I'm affectionately referring to this as Dyatlov Past. <laughs> <laughs> Up until I started researching this episode, I didn't think anything could be worse than being trapped in the pitch black darkness hundreds of metres underground. I was wrong. Try that. <laughs> being outside and freezing to death next to naked terrifying and watching your friends die one by one at least in a cave you have time time to free yourself time to find an exit anything in Dyatlov Pass they didn't have anything the environment robbed them of their mental faculties their physical prowess all while the clock was ticking the four last surviving members were probably stoked when they got their heads and chests caved in (laughs) that's my power rankings this week (laughs) good god <laughs> okay. So yeah, a little, little more blue or macabre than normal, but you know. I like using that as a verb to get the outlaw past. The outlaw yeah. past. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I just want to leave our listeners with some uh, some facts about uh, how the the scene at the outlaw past was found by mm. the re- uh, by the search team. Mm. Uh, just so you guys can go off and think about this yourself. Try and figure out just what happened. So, Yuri Doroshenko, who was found under the cedar tree, 
his body was found with foamy grey fluid coming out of his mouth, most likely from a pulmonary edema. But the fact that it was coming out of his mouth suggests that something was pressing on his chest before death. No, uh, also, he has severe frostbite on all his fingers and toes. Had he survived, they would have all had to have been amputated. Uh, Yuri Georgi Krivonoshenko, who was found under the cedar tree with Doroshenko, had skin missing from the backs of his hands. That skin was found inside his own mouth. He had chewed it off. <sighs> Igor Dyatlov, who was moving back up the hill towards the tent, was found clinging to a small tree which was bent over under the snow, and that's actually how they found him. He was the first body that they found. Uh, they saw this tree bent at a weird angle, uncovered the snow, and there's a frozen body hugging it for dear life, Surprise. trying to pull himself up. Uh, Zineda Zina Kolmogorova had bruising on the right side of her waist consistent with being hit by a baton or similar weapon. Rustam Rustic Slobodan, also heading up the mountain, had hemorrhaging and fractures on both sides of the head, which appear to have been caused by blows from a blunt object. While he died from hypothermia, it was likely sped up by going into shock after those blows. He also had skin torn off his right forearm. Lyudmila Lyuda Dubanina, who probably suffered the worst death <laughs> of all of them. So you got uh, as we've good. mentioned numerous times, she was missing most of her face and her tongue. There's 100 milligrams of blood in her stomach, suggesting it was removed while her heart was still beating. Uh, her nose was also completely flattened. She had 10 broken ribs. She was, however, the best dressed of all of them. She had <laughs> Four layers of clothing on. Uh, good, unfortunately, good for- no shoes. <laughs> Lucky for her. <laughs> uh, Semyon Sasha Zolotaryov. Now, he had very similar injuries to Dubinina. Obviously, as I said before, his neck was snapped and he had an open wound behind his ear. Um, but his chest was also completely smashed in. Very similar to Dubinina's missing ribs. Now, what's interesting is that the injuries match those two in direction and force, but their different body sizes suggest that they weren't a single event. So the same thing probably hit them both, but not at the same time. Also, when he was found, he had his camera hanging around his neck. So no one could stop and get clothes before they left the tent, but he could grab his camera. Uh, Alexander Kolevitov, and layers of his clothes were burned also his eyes were missing <laughs> and Nikolai Kolya Thibobrignol uh, he probably got it the best his only injuries were multiple fractures to the left temple consistent with the force of a car crash that's what killed him well no he died from hypothermia officially uh, technically, Officially. all nine of them died from hypothermia. The coroner said that after he sustained that blow, whatever it was, uh, he could have lived a maximum of three hours and yes. would have been unconscious the entire time. Yeah. So he was, even if he survived, it was he wasn't surviving. Just some questions as well mm. that I want to leave people on asking. <laughs> Obviously, we've already asked why would these experienced 
uh, hikers cut their way out of the tent with insufficient clothing, but walk down the hill in an orderly manner. What killed the four in the ravine? What caused those injuries? Why did Zolotaryov have his camera? Why were the clothes radioactive? Why did three of them from the fire under the cedar tree head back up the hill towards the tent, but four of them went in the other direction to build a shelter? And I think most importantly, why did the government try to cover it up? (laughs) (laughs) They silenced Lev Ivanov, the lead investigator, on it. After having investigated for a few weeks, he went to Moscow to brief them, and he came back just completely silent on the whole thing. From then on, it was hypothermia, nothing happened. And the, the government tried to stop funerals happening at all because they didn't want to draw any attention to it. In the end, they settled for having two funerals for the whole lot of them uh, that only the families were allowed to attend. Though thousands of people filled the town of Ivdel, uh, sorry, of uh, Yekaterinburg. Yeah. God, that's a hard name to fucking say. Uh, to see the procession. Named after Queen Catherine of, nah, the, well. uh, of the Russian uh, royal family. <laughs> yes, because you're Katerinburg. Sounds like Catherine. And d- despite having researched this for two weeks flat out, it's all I've thought about. I haven't eaten. I haven't slept. I haven't showered. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I am sure of after all of this research is that Russia in 1959 and even today is an absolute fucking shithole to live in. <laughs> yes. Oh, comrades. Now, we're kind of throwing uh, throwing back to season one a little bit here because we suggested a, a full episode on Diablo Fast in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that, if it's okay with you, I'd like to do final thoughts. All right. Okay. Very this is a segment we thing. haven't done since. Yeah. 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 I wish I had known that because I would have kept all that for my final thoughts. Yeah. Oh. Well, retroactive. That was your final thoughts. Um, I I was listening to something about this incident today while I was doing the dishes and um, <laughs> just listening Domestic on goddess. my just listening on my headphones and uh, they were describing the sort of things that Lachlan was describing with the autopsy and the the injuries sustained to these people and stuff. And it really struck me that this would have been, uh, regardless of what happened, it was obviously a terrifying, horrible experience uh-huh. that nobody should ever have to go through. I mean, um, yeah, the, these people were young students from a university that were trying to get, um, you know, some certificate for uh, this this ski, this hiking thing. But, you know, they're all very intelligent, competent people who were probably going to have good careers and stuff like that. Maybe, you know, they would have helped the communist government do some terrible stuff or whatever. <laughs> well, most but, of them were engineering students, so yeah. definitely would have helped the communist government do yeah. some terrible stuff. None of them yeah. had arts degrees is what we're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> but they could, you know, they could have also contributed to the space race and stuff. Or, you know, either way, you know, they just seemed to be normal people who were on, yeah. on their way for a hike and they experienced, you know, something that's, uh, you know, beyond horrifying and terrifying so i just yeah it, it, it we're kind of talking about this like it's a <clears throat> we're talking about this like it's a really interesting cool exciting thing to happen but you know we sh- should keep in mind that 
these are real people and they had a fucking horrifying experience. Oh, absolutely. So, I think it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, full respects to them and dedicate this episode to the memory of those uh, poor souls who experienced something that no one should ever have to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Press um, F to pay respects. Yeah. Get some Fs in the chat. And, and just for anyone who's interested in what happened to um, Yuri Yudin, who turned back. He lived to the ripe old age of 75 and passed away in 2013. So, mm. oh, well. yeah. So he, um, he lived a good life. Well, as good as you can live in Russia. But. Full of full of regret. <laughs> <laughs> had a sore back, but, you know, he yeah. still had his tongue and eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How's that, Brad? First episode hosting. Oh, mate. I, I feel so relieved now that it's done. No, you did really well. All this weight off my shoulders. You did. You did very well. Everybody, send in your send in your love for Brad. Tell him you did a good job. Good. Uh, That's right. That was a great episode. We can we can get Brad to host some more episodes if you liked what he did. We'll force him to work. (laughs) The talent shouldn't have to work, but (laughs) okay. And uh, with that, I think we'll end it here. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to our episode. I hope after speaking about this, I can get this horrible, horrible knowledge out of my brain. Leave your wife Uh, alone. Let her sleep in peace. (laughs) Well, for other reasons. Um, (laughs) Visit our website, bradisabadperson.com. There you will find all of our episodes. You'll find links to all our social media you'll find links to everywhere you can subscribe and listen to us uh, you can get in touch with us there uh, it's just it's really it's just a cool place to be bradisbadperson.com don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes give us five stars if you think we deserve it uh, or if you don't just give us five stars anyway who's gonna know <laughs> and uh, share this episode with your friends because this is a really interesting topic and the more people that know about it and think about it uh, the better because then I won't be alone in let's solve this mystery once and for all that's right let's get on a plane go to Russia figure out what happened actually speaking of that they reopened the case on the 5th of February this year yeah but unfortunately they're only investigating three avenues which I think is snow slab avalanche and And tongue high high winds or something like that (laughs) But anyway, yeah. Russian government is complicit. 